step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. You can now take Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. This is the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we come to you every Wednesday at 4 o'clock live, but with the beauty of internet radio, you can listen to past episodes anytime you want, just by going to, uh, you know, KRBN Internet Radio on Facebook, and you click the links there on the past episodes, or you can do it all sorts of ways. But today we're having a uh, free for all day, so you can control the topic and call in at 646 721 9887. And just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. And you can control the topic. Again, that's 646 721 9887. Just press one. But uh, today we're going to begin with an earthquake, birds and snakes, and airplanes, and all that good stuff because Lenny Bruce is not afraid. Um, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, those are the opening lyrics to a song by REM called The End of the World as We Know It. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I imagine some of you may not be listening today and have to listen to this uh, later on because you're stuck in traffic and you're probably thinking the world's coming to an end, trying to get somewhere for Thanksgiving. I don't envy you at all uh, because I am sitting at home and planning to spend my Thanksgiving here pretty locally in the Eugene and Elmira area and uh, looking forward to it. But uh, I'm not going to spend my show doing the what are you thankful for and what am I thankful for and all that stuff or talk about the original story of Thanksgiving because everybody else does that on their shows. So we're just going to talk about some things that are, you know, of interest to me unless you call in, of course, at 646-721-9887 and take control of the show from me. We'll talk about what Jay wants to talk about or maybe what Robin interjects or whatever else. But uh, I had a couple things on my mind. And one of the reasons why I had the, the, the words to that song in my head, starting with an earthquake, is last week I was at the Association of Oregon Counties uh, annual conference that they hold here. And it's actually held right here in Eugene. 
And I got to host a session uh, that was on something called ShakeAlert and uh, had a professor from the Department of Geology there at U of O and somebody from uh, Eugene Water and Electric Board talking about uh, some of the pilot programs going on with the ShakeAlert system and something called Alert Wildfire. So you might be going, what the hell is ShakeAlert? Well, it's a system where they set up a, a network of seismic uh, instruments, and it can actually detect and warn people of an earthquake before the actual shaking waves get to them, if you're not like right over top the epicenter of the earthquake. Um, and it can be anywhere from a few seconds of warning, depending on how close you are, to minutes of warning. So it can really give people an opportunity to take an action that might save your life. You know, if it's if you're just getting seconds of warning, and one of the things the, the warnings do is is the ones that are set up through your cell phones, they can actually tell you how many seconds and do, start a countdown on your phone to when the, the severe shaking is going to start. So you kind of know how much time you got. You can watch it count down and be ready um, if you have a, if you're signed up for the cell phone alerts. And, it, and if it's a few seconds, it might be just a matter of getting underneath of a desk and holding in place. If you've got a couple minutes, it might be a matter of getting outdoors and away from structures that might fall on you, uh, particularly if you're in, a, in an unreinforced masonry building. That might be the smartest move is to try and escape in those few few moments of warning you have. But it's really fascinating science behind this and, and, and I have to get my geek on a little bit as it, you know, before I was a county commissioner I was an engineer as I used to say I is an engineer um, and, and and you know I have to put a little bit of my Howard Wallowitz on and uh, and and geek out about the uh, about this whole shake alert system and an earthquake puts out a couple different signature um, waves of energy, and one of them's called the uh, P wave, which travels faster and out in front of the actual shaking, which is called the S wave. And that P wave travels, you know, pretty fast. So the further you are away from the epicenter, the bigger the difference between when you'll detect the P wave, which isn't real, it, it, it's shaking a seismograph can detect, but it's not something you'll feel personally versus this S wave that'll come behind it and have the real shaking. Uh, and that's one of the ways the system works. In addition, if with a network of sensors, they could actually have a sensor detect an earthquake down near Crescent City, California, out on the subduction zone that's the beginning of a subduction zone event, and the subduction zone doesn't fall in the entire length of it all at once. It unzips, and it actually has, you know, so the epicenter moves along the fault, basically, with the shaking, and that movement actually is slower than the speed of sound. So there's actually, if, with that detection down there in Crescent City monitor, and then if you get on a network that's that's fiber optic and microwave, it's actually even faster than the earthquake moves. They may have minutes of warning before that um, subduction zone might be un unzipping near Astoria or maybe all the way up in front of the Puget Sound. Um, 
pretty amazing piece of science and how how it all will work. Problem is, is the system's not built out. There are not enough sensors in it, and not enough. You know, it hasn't been tested and and um, really worked out to where it can be rolled out to the public yet. There'll be some minor rollout next year to some test audiences, um, but it's a system that's been in place for 25 years in Mexico. You know, what some people used to consider not really a first world country, and they've had an earthquake detection system similar to this for 25 years, and it's gotten better over the years. But I actually saw a video from Mexico City of an earthquake and it was cell phone footage of a bunch of people that had evacuated upon the sirens and they're standing around outside and all of a sudden you you start seeing people you know bracing themselves as the shaking comes and in the background the building they were they were outside of waiting suddenly just pancakes to the ground you know so you can definitely tell that that system can save lives and it's actually not a very expensive system. It'll only take about 35 million to build out Oregon's portion of it, which they've already done about 12 million investments. So it's 24, 23 million to uh, basically build it out in Oregon, when it will take over 100 million to seismically retrofit the state capitol building. So which do you think is a better investment? Maybe to finish out the the shake alert system in Oregon and get that up and running uh, quickly so that the folks that are in the state capitol building might actually get time to evacuate it if there's a subduction zone earthquake, which would lead to the shaking of the state capitol, or if, say, uh, Mount Hood decides to go off and, and send an earthquake down that direction, they may still get minutes of warning. Uh, unless there's a fault directly under the capitol, um, it would definitely save a lot of lives for a whole lot less money. But unfortunately, that message hasn't quite resonated with the uh, legislature, and they've been slowly funding the build out of this. And it'd be nice to see that accelerated with time here, maybe in the next couple sessions, if they could just finish the damn project, it'd be great. But in addition to that, something that's been happening with the system in uh, Nevada is they have to put up, you know, they, they put the sensors in the ground, but they have to somehow or another have telemetry into um, the network. And what they've chosen to do in a lot of these places is put up a tower at the same location that earthquake sensors are, particularly if they can get them located at the top of a hill and microwave um, at a four gig speed. There's some kind of four gig microwave system that allows for very fast transfer of the data and also um, have a lot of bandwidth for the data to get to some place. But it also turns out this is a great place to co-locate a 4K high-def camera system with pan to tilt zoom built into it that can actually detect wildfire ignitions and look for smoke and that camera also has infrared on it so it will also detect at night through fog and things like that um, and if we get enough of these these co-located sensors it will also help us build up our ability to detect and fight wildfire in fact some of the wildfires uh, this summer the air 
um, attacks were actually being navigated in through these camera systems that exist in, in Nevada already and, and also around Lake, the Lake Tahoe region. So there's an opportunity here in Oregon to add not only this earthquake alert system, but a, a higher level of wildfire protection. There already are wildfire detecting cameras in Oregon, but they're fairly low res because they're not on, on high bandwidth uh, data transmission. And they basically slowly turn a 360 degree circle taking pictures. And they, they compare those pictures with historic record uh, looking for uh, telltale signs of a smoke plume. And there's you know computer algorithms to do that and alert the operators to come look at the pictures. Um, but of course, they don't always work well. In particular, they didn't work at all this summer when the uh, High Prairie Fire ignited down in, in uh, Southern Oregon was actually covered up by the haze that was in place there from the Chetco Bar fire that was already burning. And, and that with newer, uh, 4K cameras that are also infrared cameras, they would have at least picked up the infrared signature for that ignition and possibly detected it. So uh, really exciting, geeky stuff for me to talk about and uh, geeky stuff for me to hopefully lobby to see if we can get that system installed because that could make a huge difference, particularly when you look at um, the wildfires in California uh, it, around the wine country there and the, the one that was up in the Columbia River Gorge that really were fast moving dangerous fires and the ability to get really good data on that and get evacuations going quickly uh, can also be a lifesaver. So in two ways, if we could build out this shake alert and wildfire uh, alert system, really would add to our ability to you know prevent loss of life maybe even loss of property uh, also in the case of the wildfire alert because the sooner you detect a wildfire the sooner you start fire fighting that wildfire the more chance you're going to get on top of it it's not going to become a, a large fire and you'll be able to control it while it's small and prevent some of that damage so those are a couple things on my mind uh, from the AOC conference, a lot of things we talked about there that yeah, I could go on about everything from uh, trying to prevent mental illness in, in, in our you know folks from entering our, our criminal justice system and trying to divert them. That was some of the subject matter during the conference to uh, um, trying to prevent bullying in our youth and how that impact has long-term impact on our criminal justice system. It just you know, a myriad of topics that we went over uh, during that conference. And, you know, I could only attend some of the sessions, not all of them. And uh, pretty, pretty interesting conference. And of course, it's always kind of neat to talk to other county commissioners and what's going on in their counties, how they're solving problems, you know, what the issues of the day are there. Um, and, and it's always fascinating. Of course, uh, a lot of the county commissioners from other counties wanted to talk to me about how we dealt with our uh, labor issue recently and, and uh, were very uh, interested to, to understand just how we prepared for that and how we dealt with it and everything else. So always great communicating with other county commissioners. But again, 
You're listening to Bo's Nose Show, and today's a free-for-all day, which means you get to control the conversation, which means you can give us a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about, which might be my next topic, which uh, has kind of been interesting over the last couple weeks, is overnight camping and the expansion of the program of a program similar to the city of Eugene's and the city of Springfield's programs that allow overnight camping on uh, private property and commercial and and church properties uh, throughout those two cities into an area between the city limits of Eugene and the urban growth boundary of Eugene, which would mostly be the uh, River Road and Santa Clara neighborhoods that would be affected by that in these unincorporated areas uh, in that donut between the city limits and the urban growth boundary. And that program uh, would be a pilot program over the next year that would allow up to 10 sites um, to happen. And it would allow voluntary property owners, you know, you can't, you know, they don't go out and and just say, you're going to have a campsite on your property. People have to volunteer to be in the program. Um, and then it kind of there's a little bit of screening of the sites to make sure they're a good site uh, to make sure folks can comply with some of the requirements, whether they're going to be able to you know, take care of sanitation, trash disposal and storage of uh, belongings out of sight of the public right away and the neighbors. Um, and then the campers have to sign up in advance for this program and are go through a criminal background check and then do uh, in-person interviews to screen them to you know make sure they they'll be compatible with the program and match up with the host and all and then um, the host and the campers actually sign a contract about the program about certain things that are going to be maintained and basically if you violate the conditions of that contract you get booted out of the, out of your your campsite or if you're a host you know you you're, you're no longer eligible to be a host and um, it just so far the system is you know, it's been in place in the city of Eugene for 12 years now under uh, St. Vincent de Paul's um, is, is actually the nonprofit contracted to run the program. And, you know, the complaints have been very few and far between less than a 2% uh, complaint rate. Uh, and in the entire time it's been in place, uh, you know, of all the complaints, only one time has the program had to actually contact law enforcement to resolve a complaint. The rest of them have all been resolved through the St. Vincent de Paul uh, staff mediating the issue. And, you know, worst case, some, you know, camper might get evicted or something like that, but it's, it's generally um, not had to resolve through, through law enforcement showing up. And, uh, hasn't really generated a lot of complaints. In fact, if you think about the incarceration rate in the U.S. is actually higher than 2% overall population. So, uh, and this isn't necessarily criminal complaints that result in incarceration. So, it's really showing that this uh, vetted population of campers has actually got a lower complaint rate than the general public has. So, it's a pretty safe program, but it's in front of the Board of Commissioners now to actually authorize this pilot program. And we'll be actually talking about that next Tuesday, the 28th 
at in our morning session of the board meeting. And if you want to comment on that, you can either email the board. Um, and if you want to know where to find our email, if you go to the county's website, uh, find the board of commissioners page. Down in the lower right hand corner of that page is a box you can click to email the entire board. And it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us and, and let us know your feelings about that program. Or you can actually come to our board meeting uh, next Tuesday around nine o'clock. We'll be taking public comment, general public comment, uh, and uh, folks can get three minutes to tell us how they feel about um, the program. So that's one of the things that's kind of on the board's uh, radar. And I held a meeting about a week ago uh, on this subject and had about 40 people show up. Somebody said 45, I counted about 40, um, but I didn't do a real careful count. And people were coming in and going a little bit during the meeting, but uh, kind of talked about what the program was, did some questions and answers, and then opened it up for comments. And, and generally, I'd say the majority of people that attended were not terribly in favor of the program. And partly was because the church I just happened to hold my meeting at had opened itself as an Egan warming center the previous winter. And apparently there were some issues with some of the clients from the Egan warming center uh, wandering the neighborhood, you know, the next day after the center was open or before the center opened that evening and generally causing some problems around the neighborhood and scaring some of the neighbors. And, uh, you know, one guy left a barking dog in his van all night at the church uh disturbing neighbors uh so it was um not one of the best situations last winter apparently that egan center and that kind of led to people not really being enthused about doing anything for uh, homeless which this the egan center is a very um uh low uh, uh bar entry program you know they take people into those egan centers you know even if they're intoxicated because it's about trying to keep them from freezing overnight the overnight camping program has a much higher bar because you have to pass those criminal background checks and all that and the contracts actually say there will not be drug and alcohol use uh, involved in the camp campsites um, so it's a different, completely different program, but there was bleed over from that. So it kind of, I get, I get why a lot of people were against it. And generally my email comments that I've been getting have been running uh, a majority against the program. And in particular, people weren't really aware we were even considering extending the program out there, which, you know, happens a lot in, 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 in my line of work where we're getting ready to make a decision. And it seems like no matter how much public outreach and how long we've actually been considering that program, we started looking into this last summer. And actually there were articles in the Register Guard last August about us considering this program. And, and, and I've talked about it on, on the radio show here. I've put it up on Facebook. I noticed that meeting last week. I even paid to push notification out on Facebook last week uh, before the meeting. And there's still people that feel like we're rushing our decision and all that. They didn't get notice in time. So I kind of understand that and, and I'm and I'm 
kind of thinking maybe we we need to try and do a, a little bit more outreach and a better job of educating the public about what we're considering before we actually make a decision on this but we'll see next tuesday we'll get to discuss that so i'd love to hear your input about that so if you want to call me on the bose nose show at 646-721-9887 just press one and we'll you know, I'd love to hear what you think about extending that overnight camping program out there in the River Road, Santa Clara area. Uh, the pilot for one year for up to 10 sites uh, out there. And, and you know, how, how do you think that will go and, and what you'd like to see happen with that? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Um, you know, all those things, because you know, there, there is there is a homeless population out in River Road, Santa Clara now. Uh, and I don't think anyone um, who opens their eyes and looks in the right places can deny that. Uh, one just has to uh, use the river bike path uh, and be aware of some of the places they camp along the river. Uh, if you're you know, uh, aware of some of the power lines that have blackberry bramble patches in them, there are places they camp there. There are places along the uh, channel that runs parallel to the Northwest Expressway. They camp out in the Santa Clara area. Uh, and we've, I've even had issues where um, we've had squatters in some of the zombie homes that were left over from the 2008 real estate bubble cra you know, crash um, out, out in the Santa Clara area in particular where we've had you know i've had neighbors call me and complain about the squatters in some of these homes with which are very difficult to find ownership for because the ownership was kind of buried in in the whole um mers electronic um, uh, mortgage registration system uh and you can't find the bank that actually holds the paper to the house even though they evicted somebody for not paying the mortgage um and took you know, supposedly have possession of the house, although they never really take full possession, or I'd be able to track them down. <laughs> and that's a, that's a whole other issue on zombie houses there, but um, there's definitely already illegal camping happening out in the River Road in Santa Clara, including I had a recent complaint about a car camper that was moving around between a couple streets, you know, where you get reported on one street, they come and kind of move them along, and he'd show up on another street, another a night or two later um and that sort of illegal camping going on and this is kind of what would enable at least those that can pass the vetting a legal place to camp and maybe prevent some of that illegal camping where you know folks don't have sanitation facilities trash disposal available to them so those are the camps that end up leaving behind litter and uh, unsanitary situations that are actually become, you know, biohazards and expensive to clean up. Um, so this is, you know, hopefully it's not a permanent solution to the homeless issue, but it actually may provide some reduction in illegal camping and, and a temporary place for some of these folks to stay. Um, and it also, once they get into some of these temporary uh, campsites for them, allows them to get exposure to some of the um, social programs and all that that may assist them in obtaining permanent housing or dealing with the issues that got them unhoused, like, um, you know, people that are, are, are running from domestic violence situations may get them in contact with some victim services providers and help them through that situation. Um, 
there's there's all sorts of you know reasons why people are homeless and and all sorts of services that may be available to help them uh, but until you can actually count on where you're going to be every night and and feel safe and leaving your belongings long enough to go to those services uh, a lot of people uh, aren't accessing them you know when they're still thinking about like the guy that was moving his car every day because somebody reports him uh, and he's worried about getting is having his only sleeping accommodations towed off and impounded and he can't pay the impound fee um, that's you know one of the things that program hopefully you know with at least 10 illegal campers off of the off the streets and maybe you know if they have kids those them off the street too but love to hear what you have to say about that that program then you can give us a call at the Bozo's No show 646-721-9887 and uh you can control the conversation it doesn't have to be the overnight camping program it can be whatever you want to talk about any other homeless issues and housing issues you want to talk about if not we'll go on and talk about some of the other things i had on my list for today or or topics in the news that i've seen recently and one of them i want to talk about a little bit it might be something that uh folks aren't really aware of because it might be under the radar for most folks unless you actually own a business in the downtown florence area and and are part of the urban renewal district there or you're on the Florence City Council or kind of tuned into the uh, um, news in Florence pretty heavily, there is something called Revision to Florence. And it's an effort by the Florence Urban Renewal Agency to try and um, upgrade the how Florence looks as you drive into Florence on 126 and Highway 101 in that stretch you know basically from the Sayusla River Bridge to 126 and from 126 to the city limit from 101 to the city limits on 126 um, isn't necessarily the most inviting stretch of highway you've ever seen um, kind of everything's set back pretty far a lot of concrete their sidewalks are in disrepair a lot of overhead utilities um, not a real inviting uh, stretch of roadway and what you don't get is that's actually where you can access down to Florence's Old Town which once you're down in Old Town is gorgeous and you have this beautiful view of the Sayusla River Bridge with the dunes behind it you know from down there in, in Old Town uh, get the you know look at the boats tied up at the wharves you know seals and sea lions playing in the river uh, and, and just you know some neat old shops there down on 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 uh, right down there on Broad Street, and it's just really a cool place to be. But a lot of people just seem to drive straight through Florence um, on Highway 101 because they don't really notice where to turn off or see it. You sort of see it for a moment maybe if you're coming northbound on 101. Um, when you're on the bridge, but it's such a quick glimpse and then there's not a real indicator of where to turn off and what you're turning off for. So part of this project is to completely revamp um, the highways in, in that area and particularly, you know, putting in sidewalks, putting in landscaping, putting in banners and putting in these kind of um, 
entrance features that really will guide you to turn off and go into Old Town. And, you know, uh, opportunities for public art display, uh, make it more pedestrian friendly. And it's really kind of a cool project. And it's in conjunction with ODOT needs to repave both those pieces of a highway so that the, the paving is actually an ODOT project, project that was on the books anyway as part of their, their paving maintenance plan. And in conjunction with this, all this curb, you know, sidewalk, landscaping, all that that's, that's outside of the actual roadway is this revision Florence project that they're kind of work together and work jointly on. They've actually gotten some ODOT funding for this project because it does involve bike and pedestrian facilities and parking and a few things that are related to the highway and moving to people um, that ODOT has set aside. And they, they, they're putting together money from the Urban Renewal Agency because one of the things Urban Renewal Agencies have available to them is, is um, the ability to fund stuff through the ta tax diversion of the Urban Renewal Agency and the ability to bond things and pay for them over time. And they're asking um, Lane County to actually uh, contribute some transient room taxes that are collected from overnight stays in Lane County that are specifically meant to promote tourism. And, and there is a piece of the transient room taxes for capital improvement projects like this that are related to tourism. And we get to talk about that. Uh, we've actually talked about it a couple times, but next Tuesday, I think we'll actually make a decision about doing some of the funding for this. But we may actually um, look at funding a portion of this somewhere between 12 and $20 million uh, with either transient room tax, or possibly some, some road funds that have been asked for. I don't know if we'll actually do the road funding because it's not as related uh, to what, what they're actually going to build. But it's kind of an exciting thing and it would be kind of fun to get it on, you know, get it done and have it ready for the 2021 worlds to be taking place when there'll be a lot of tourist traffic in Florence uh, and people traveling through Florence uh, and, and possibly, um, you know, be a boon to Florence and, and get some more, you know, desire for hotel rooms to be built, which will actually add to the transient room taxes, which will help pay off whatever monies we, we put into this project. There are actually two hotel sites um, available in that Florence downtown area that would, uh, if they're both built out, would probably generate enough transient room taxes to pay off this investment. So kind of an exciting thing and an esoteric thing, but just one of those things that comes before the Board of Commissioners that maybe won't make the register guard because it's about Florence and um, may not be heard about throughout all of West Lane County. You know, Junction City folks probably aren't focused on that, just like the folks in Florence probably aren't aware of the new granola bar manufacturing plant that's coming to Junction City that's going to add 75 uh, jobs to the Junction City area. Uh, this is kind of Florence's little piece of economic development work they're doing through their uh, urban renewal agency. And it's kind of an exciting thing. Florence is a cool town and, and a gem for us here in the Eugene Springfield area. I'm kind of not quite in Eugene Springfield. I'm kind of halfway, not quite halfway between, but you know, on the way to the coast. But it's in a different climate. 
than than the valley here. And there's a lot of times when you know it is uh, gray and foggy here and cold, and and we're talking about uh, not being able to burn our our wood stoves because of the inversions that go on here in the valley. Well, on those inversion days. Florence is usually drop dead gorgeous because the coast doesn't get that trapped air, cold air, because it's it's got the you know the whole Pacific Ocean for that air to get away and, and dissipate in the morning. And it'll be clear and sunny and 60 degrees on the coast on a day when it's 40 degrees and foggy in the valley. And and there's a great escape for a day trip for us you know on those kinds of days and there's a lot of days in between where it's just you know when it's 98 degrees and 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 that that really hot dry dusty days in 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 august when we're getting one of those those um heat waves well it might get up to 80 in florence <laughs> so it's kind of great to have that that getaway and and really is a, a a neat thing to have so close by and a great old town there on the river and i encourage folks if you haven't had a chance to go over there and visit it's a fun thing to do and this project will be about focusing folks down into that area and getting folks to stop and spend some time here in lane county and spend a few dollars add to the employment base in the florence area and um you know really just you know make make it even more of a gem than it already is. Uh, yeah, if I jump in for a second. Sure, Robin. You forgot one important thing about Florence. What's that? Saltwater taffy. Oh yeah, they do have that there. <laughs> like most coastal towns, it's something that seems to be in abundance. The other thing about Florence is, of course, it has a Moe's there, so you can get your bread bowl of clam chowder right out there on the Sayuslaw River, sitting out there watching you know, seals pop up, pop their heads up out there in the river. I like to go down there during September, you know, early September when the salmon are running and the river is full of salmon fishermen. And you actually sometimes get to see somebody get lucky and pull one up on their boat. Um, and then I like to travel down to the uh, boat ramp, walk to the boat ramp down there and watch people, you know, see what, what they're pulling off their boats. And there's a fish clean station there. You can see people, how big those salmon really are. And, and it's just, it's a great experience. And of course, coffee roasters there that sits practically right under the Sayusla River Bridge. They've got a little deck that's fairly well hidden from the wind. In the, in the summertime, I just love to sit out there with a good cup of coffee. They've got Wi-Fi, so you can, you know, open up your, uh, your laptop or your iPad and, and uh, have a cup of coffee and just enjoy the, the, the salty air. Yeah, saltwater taffy, Moe's clam chowder. What, what can you say that, that, you know, that's bad about it? And then of course, if you go down there for the Rhododendron Festival in May, uh, you'll see more old classic cars and motorcycles of every shape and size you can imagine and it's really cool to go down to bay street i think i said broad street earlier i meant bay street um they park them in the in the parallel parking spaces there instead they have them all parked perpendicular in the spaces all these motorcycles hundreds of them and, and of course the beachcomber um 
uh, grill and restaurant, which is also a bar, kind of tends to be the uh, uh, you know epicenter of the biking crowd there. And it's not it's it's safe. It's 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 not Sturgis or anything like that, you know. But I saw some of the neatest motorcycles down there. I saw a motorcycle with a V8 on it down there. That was huge. I also saw you know V6 and, and a few others, but it was just some amazing bikes, you know, from old Triants and, and Indians and stuff like that, and, and just some really cool bikes, Harleys of every description, custom stuff. So yeah, it, it, it's a neat town. It has some really great events like the Rhododendron Festival, uh, and also just has some you know, great days like in the winter time, if you're starting to get seasonal affective disorder about lack of sunshine and it's one of, and it's one of those weeks where we're having foggy day after foggy day after foggy day and here in the valley, escape the Florence for the day. I guarantee it'll lift your spirits. So Revision Florence is coming up on the on the board's agenda a couple Tuesdays from now and and you know, it's it's pretty busy agenda. We got an interesting one coming up. There was an article in the, in the Register Guard the other day about uh, this industrial property out in the Lowell Dexter area that we have had to take ownership over lack of paying their taxes. And we're actually going to have a public um, decision about whether we want to give that, sell that back to the owner or not, because um, the owner is claiming that uh, he failed to pay the taxes because he was mentally and physically incapacitated. Uh, of course, uh, it takes us six years to foreclose on a piece of property for non-payment of taxes. So I'll, I'll be looking to see six years of inability to um, pay taxes. And literally you only have to pay the sixth oldest year to prevent yourself from getting foreclosed. Um, I'll be interested. It'll be an interesting discussion, but it's a property that um, has been a source of multiple complaints from neighbors out there as it's kind of become um, a place where folks are actually camping on illegally because it's zoned industrial, so habitation is not really an allowed use. But apparently, there's some RVs being camped in and some buildings. And apparently one of the buildings is actually being used for a marijuana business of some kind under a lease uh, from the owner, which is makes it kind of interesting about um, actually um, taking possession, evicting folks from that and not wanting to do that prematurely because if we actually turn it back over to the folks, then we would actually as the county take ownership of whatever marijuana or marijuana products might be located on the property. And then if we had to return them to them, we would actually be, um, could be guilty of uh, federal uh, drug violations because it's still illegal uh, to trade in marijuana and, and have possession go back and forth between persons um, you know, in in the United States under federal law, so we're kind of a little reluctant to take uh, possession until we're no know we're taking permanent possession of anything out there, um, because it's it's a tricky thing in, in 
the state of Oregon about uh, law enforcement agencies or governments taking any possession of something that might have marijuana involved. And if, if you're not absolutely positive, you're taking permanent possession of that and not going to have to return it to the rightful owner under state law and then be in violation of federal law. Very complicated, interesting subject in general, and, and, and gets even more interesting because we are under multiple federal grants that provide things like money for federally qualified uh, health clinics, which of course have been in the news this week with Oregon's um, over billing of that system uh, because they actually weren't paying attention to what they're legally allowed to bill to the federal system. But still, those grants come with a string attached that you will maintain a completely drug-free workplace and have a zero tolerance with drugs and all that stuff. So um, dealing in marijuana by taking possession of it, re returning it might just violate some of those federal grants. <laughs> and uh, something we don't want to do by accident. So interesting topic coming up next Tuesday on, on, on the board meeting is this whole issue of taking possession of an industrial property that has a marijuana business located on it uh, and whether we're going to give it back to the property owner and all the implications of that particularly seeing the, the numerous complaints that have been called in about that property over time uh, not only uh, zoning and land management type nuisance complaints, but also complaints that have been called into the Department of Environmental Quality about possible um, sanitation issues and uh, driving four-wheelers across the riparian zone that's adjacent to the property. Um, so interesting topics come up before the Board of Commissioners. So you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and of course, this is a free-for-all day on the Bose Nose Show. Uh, don't have a guest today, don't have a set topic today, so you can control the conversation by calling us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And uh, we'll talk about what you want to talk about on the Bose Nose Show, not just what Jay wants to talk about or what Robin wants to talk about on the Bose Nose Show. <laughs> What's up, Robin? <laughs> I, I, I can hear you dying to get in, so there must be something else that's been in the news you want to talk about. Um, actually, in the next couple of days starts a tradition that is a little weird and scary as we get towards... Uh, the holiday season and Christmas, and that is the tradition of the elf on the shelf. Uh, <laughs> does your family do elf on the shelf? Mine never did that. Uh, we don't, but uh, we've seen some pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff with that poor little elf. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually um, have a Facebook friend that, that it has kind of an annual tradition of posting pictures of the elf on the shelf doing some very naughty things. <laughs> Wouldn't have anything to do with bacon, would it? Uh, no, well, nothing to do with bacon. It's actually one of my friends uh, locally here that, that uh, I, I won't name, so she, so, so she, will, she will remain anonymous, but she's pretty, pretty humorous about what she posts about the elf on the shelf over the years. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that, you know, these, you know, think about the creepy parent thing to do where you put this elf and move it around your house because he's supposed to be watching your kids for Santa to see if they're naughty or nice. 
you know, spying. <laughs> you have this stranger in your house spying on your children and watching them at all times. It's like, uh, you know, if that wasn't the elf, you'd probably have that person under arrest <laughs> <laughs> or be beating the crap out of them for spying on your kids. Really? It's like you have this beeping Tom in your house. Yeah. No wonder why the kids are a little paranoid. Yeah. Mommy, I'm having nightmares. Yeah, the elf's watching me. <laughs> oh, no. oh. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough kids are afraid of clowns. Yeah. Well, and I guess the good thing is with this tradition is that you don't, you know, like back when we were growing up, you know, we had creature features and other sci-fi stuff on every week. And with all the freaky haunted dolls and all that, and then you add the elf on the shelf that kind of creeps around all over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. Of course, they had all the. Um, yeah, what was that movie with the doll? And they had about a bazillion different episodes of it. The doll was. Um, Chucky. Chucky. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we grew up in that time period where you had all those creepy shows and stuff on on television as kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, had, we had this weird one on on the UH back when there were only about three channels on television, and uh-huh. this and, and there was a UHF channel, you know, that you had to have a separate dial. You had to turn your you, know, you had to turn past the thirteen channels to UHF, and then there was another dial that went from fourteen through seventy two or something like that on, on the television. Yeah, I remember. I'm, yeah, I, I'm really aging myself now, but channel. <laughs> Channel 20 WWDC in Washington DC was this new new channel and they they had a show on um that hosted all these really um old um black and white horror films and stuff like that and the host on it was Count Gorby Doll. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy dressed up in a Dracula outfit, you know, with the makeup and and fangs and everything with yeah. the with, with the really corny accent and everything and he'd introduce these movies and comment on them and stuff like that oh my god it was so campy but you know if you were a kid growing up in washington dc in my time period you probably would remember that and that was before elvira and her show you know years before her but she kind of you know kind of took over that sort of thing hosting the campy uh horror flicks but you know that's what you know grew up with all that stuff as a kid and so i can see uh the elf on the shelf creeping kids out. Yeah. yeah. yeah Elvira wouldn't fly nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Or the uh, or the crypt keeper. Yeah. Really good Thanksgiving uh conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well I told you I wasn't gonna have the typical Thanksgiving show. I'm not gonna talk about what we're all thankful. I'll do that in some other format. Um yeah, we can talk about that on Facebook or something like that. I just didn't want to be, you know, like all the other talk shows today. I was, I think I tuned into a little bit of Rush today, and he was telling the Thanksgiving story all over again, and and you know the whole, um, you know, Mayflower Compact and and the, the the socialism aspect versus when they changed it to more of a capitalistic society. How that was really what changed the success of of the the Plymouth uh, colony and, and, and the pilgrims and, you know, that whole thing. I, he talked about that. I don't need to talk about that. I heard another talk show host 
you know, talking about what he was thankful for and having people call in about what they were thankful for. It's like, yeah, yeah, everybody's doing that. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about earthquakes and <laughs> wildfires <laughs> and and scuffy and and creepy elves on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. Oh my gosh, I saw somebody posted a picture. <laughs> All right, speaking of bacon, and you'll know who posted this picture. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was it, it was a picture of of uh Tur Kraken as it was labeled. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the picture you want to talk about a picture that creepy out. It was it was obviously it wasn't a full-size turkey. It must have been a chicken or something like that. But it had all the tentacles of an octopus coming out of the cavity of it. Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> oh God, creepy! Instead of turducken, you know, with the 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 you know the game hen inside of the 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 duck inside of the turkey. Right. It was it was turkraken. <laughs> what two things do not go well together? <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh my bizarre. Enough to put you off turkey for, for a good while or or stuffing for that matter. Exactly. Uh yeah. That's yeah. Good. Especially if it's live and moving. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to call into the show at at six four six seven two one ninety eight seven with your creepy Christmas and Thanksgiving um traditions from your family. That's what we'll talk about today. We don't need to talk about what you're thankful for or or all the usual stuff, you know, the Thanksgiving story, et cetera. We want to hear your creepy traditions. <laughs> and proof positive, folks, he's just not a um, – our commissioner has a sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it's one of – you know, other things about Thanksgiving that get to me, um, you know, one of the things I'm happy for – is that I'm not stuck in traffic right now uh, or in an airport or something like that traveling. Um, Another thing I'm happy for is I'm not in a grocery store this afternoon. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, you know, we were going to have, we're going to some friends for Thanksgiving tomorrow. So we're going to have our own little Thanksgiving on Friday, just the two of us so we can cook a Turkey. So we have left over Turkey, you know, that's just can't live without that sort of thing. And we were going to try and hold down the carbs this year, and we weren't going to have mashed potatoes or stuffing. And um, last minute, um, Elizabeth, my wife, decides she really just can't go without stuffing for Thanksgiving. And we always do uh, Pepperidge Farm uh, stuffing mix as our base for our stuffing. And it's not always easy to find this time of year because stores run out of it. Um, so I was, after that, she announced, we decided that, I guess it was last night, we, we came to the conclusion that we just couldn't live without stuffing, which meant a trip to the grocery store sometime today. Yeah. <laughs> and I chose to get up at five this morning so I could get my butt out of the house early enough to go to the grocery store before my eight o'clock executive session downtown uh, at board meeting on the way in. And it was still a little bit crowded at Fred Meyer's at seven o'clock this morning. There were actually people in line with all of their groceries for Thanksgiving and all that trying to beat the afternoon rush. 
I can just imagine what Fred Myers was like this afternoon. Uh, you know, that's probably where some of our listeners are instead of listening to Bo's Nose Show this afternoon. And I am thankful I am not in a Fred Meyer checkout line right now. <laughs> in fact, this is what I don't understand. Black Friday, will people will actually go stand in line in whatever weather, and then once inside the store, they'll actually fight for whatever items on sale. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, that that is that is my idea of a nightmare. I guess I am, you know, truly on the Myers Briggs scale. If anyone's familiar with Myers Briggs personality types, I am an I, which is an introvert, which might surprise some people that I am a county commissioner and an introvert. But I do not like being in large crowds. You know that you know my preference is to be by myself. It's where I get my energy from. But you know, I, I have the ability to overcome that for short periods of time. But I tell you, my idea of a nightmare is, is going shopping on Black Friday or going to the grocery store this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just do not want to do it. You want to put me in a bad mood? Make me go to the grocery store this evening. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll dread going. I'll be mad about being there. I'll be angry about having to have done it for the next several hours. You know, that's just, you know, that's the kind of thing that will just you know, definitely ruined my day. <laughs> so, but I think I've gotten everything I ever would need for, for, you know, picked up the stuffing mix, the celery and the onions. I think I've got plenty of butter in the refrigerator and all that stuff. So won't have to go back out. Did, did forget to buy cranberries in my shop that I did last Saturday. So I had to sneak out and get some cranberries earlier in the week, but stuffing came kind of late and had to think about getting to the grocery store today. So I made sure I was there at seven this morning and avoided the rush. Yeah. So, you know, any any uh, interesting traditions in your family for the holidays that 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 are a little bit creepy and weird? Uh, just a traditional Thanksgiving pizza. Thanksgiving pizza. That sounds interesting. Is it is it turkey and, and, and uh, bacon ranch? No, it's usually just a deep dish. Just a deep dish? Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, there's some people don't really like turkey that much, and, and I don't blame them because some people just don't know how to cook a turkey to get it to be moist. And if you dry out a turkey, it's really not a good good meal. So I would recommend everybody get your turkeys thawed a little bit early and brine them for 24 hours. That is a secret to a good turkey. If you brine them for 24 hours, uh, really easy brining mixes, you, you know, it put brine turkey in, in, the, in a cert Google search, you'll find a bunch of them. Basically, like a cup of sugar, a cup of salt in a gallon of water and, you know, do enough gallons to cover the turkey in a covered pot in, in, the, in the fridge overnight for 24 hours, take it out, rinse it off, stuff it and cook it like you normally would. They actually get done a little bit faster when they're brined, but boy, you want to talk about a juicy, juicy turkey. That's that's the real key. So now you're getting cooking tips on the Bo's Nose Show. Oh, total yeah. variety. And, with, and getting the last word in here, uh, as we're just about out of time, um, I'm going to say it, wish everybody a safe Thanksgiving, and hit that like button. You know, that's something we'll be thankful for. Oh, yes, we'll be thankful if you like us on Facebook. And uh, we'll be thankful for a lot of things at Thanksgiving. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to list them all here. I'm probably going to talk about it more on Facebook. What you can get to is 
Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commission. But thank you for listening. We're thankful you're our audience Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. Always right here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. We're coming to you live beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Good night and have a happy Thanksgiving. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.